Amen. Good morning. I'm Susie Bates. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're having church in here this morning, you guys. I hope you're ready. That was amazing. This week we are in our third week of Advent, and the theme is joy. Now, I, I know a lot about joy because I am the proud owner of an adorable yellow dirt bike. That's mine. It is a uh, Suzuki DR200 dual sport. I did have to read that. I asked my husband to make sure I called it the right thing. He bought that for me, um, and we have a blast on dirt bikes living in Colorado. It is ideal, and it brings me a lot of joy. I realize that's not very Christmassy, but, well, that works. <laughs> Christmas is a joyful time. I truly do feel like it's the most wonderful time of the year. For me, every year this season is filled with nostalgia and magic. I can't wait for the local radio station to switch over to Christmas music. I leave it on nonstop the whole time. I love fires and naps and the snow that's coming in this afternoon. I love Hobby Lobby this time of year. As complicated a relationship that I can personally have with joy, it does come very easy for me this time of year. But for some, Christmas is not a joyful time. For some, this time of year is painful. While some families gather and fill up their homes with food and laughter and little kids who write letters to Santa Claus, there are people whose Christmas experience is nothing like that. Maybe their house is empty. Maybe their hearts feel empty. You see, Advent can't just be a nice and tidy, joyful little narrative. If that's all it was, it would sure skip over a lot of people. And we believe that Advent, the arrival, is for everyone. In our text today, I believe that we'll see what God's heart is for his people, that we would know and believe that joy is our birthright. But we'll also see another part of God's heart that he wants to reveal to us, how he holds space where there's room for the truth-telling of messiness and doubt, as well as joy and peace, where the old comes face-to-face -face with the new, and how God can hold them both, how he can hold death and life, darkness and light, despair and joy. Today, we will see crippling law and weightless grace bump into each other for the very first time. And as surprised as they may be by this, their very first encounter, they recognize each other's faces. They are both held by God after all. And the location of this meeting is unconventional to say the least. We continue our journey through an old fashioned family Christmas where we are exploring this crazy thing that God did. When he decided to redeem the world, he chose to do so by stepping into the drama of a small Middle Eastern family. And he didn't have to do it that way. But the fact that he did is something that we should pay attention to. In this unconventional meeting place, we'll see an origin of joy, an arrival of joy that won't skip over anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what Christmas is like for you. In fact, I think this translates to anyone ever in the history of the world. 
but you might have to hold a little space with me. Some of you will want to lean back once we get into this. You'll think this is definitely not for me. I invite you to stay in the story this morning. We began two weeks ago with the lineage of this little family that Jesus chose. And last week, we narrowed the scope of this family by looking at Jesus' uncle, Zechariah, a man who even after having an angel show up and tell him the good news, he still doubted. This week, we find ourselves focusing on Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, and a spirit-filled moment shared between her and her cousin, Mary. If you'd like, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. The birth of Jesus has just been foretold by the angel Gabriel who visited Mary and told her she would conceive and give birth to a son and that she is to call him Jesus and that he is the son of God. Mary was a teenage girl from an unimportant town. She came from a poor family. Women were silent partners. We learned two weeks ago with Tamar that they weren't typically even mentioned in lineage. Women were more like property second-class citizens, inheritances went from fathers to sons. Everything about this society was patriarchal. A young teenage girl, Mary, she had every reason to be overlooked. But this is who God chose. And so we see that space that God holds so well, overlooked and chosen. God chose her to be the way through which the Savior of the world would enter the world. And God didn't have to do it that way. The fact that he did is something we should pay attention to because it reveals our Father's heart to us. He believes that not only do women have names and stories and lives that matter, we all do. Gabriel told Mary that her relative Elizabeth would also be giving birth to a child and that she was already in her sixth month of pregnancy. And I love how God seems to be totally nodding to the way he knows full well he made us women. Like, ladies, you know, we do this thing where we kind of like to take a girlfriend with us to the bathroom. I don't really know why that is. It's true. We like to take a girlfriend with us when we go shopping. We are totally blessed to have a girlfriend who's pregnant at the same time that we are. I have experienced that. It's a huge blessing. And Gabriel is like, yeah, I know God, how God made you ladies, and he's totally going to hook you up. Here is a pregnancy buddy for you. I'm serious, this is a thing with women, you guys, and apparently it has been from the very beginning because the next line in our Bible says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town of Judea. She is like wasting no time. She's going to see Elizabeth. She's not playing around. She's a teenage girl. This journey was likely four or five days travel. Off she goes. She doesn't waste any time. Never mind all this like miraculous conception and savior of the world talk. There's like cravings and heartburn and like I'm sure a serious lack of effective maternity clothing back then and Mary and Elizabeth they got to connect on these things there's important stuff to talk about so off she goes she wastes no time now I have only ever been pregnant twice and we have two healthy baby girls the greatest thrill in my life is watching my girls grow into the young women that God created them to be I don't know why I have been spared the grief of miscarriage, the pain of infertility. I can't imagine losing a child at any age. I don't know why those things happen, 
I'm not going to try to explain them. I don't know the answers. I do know that there are women here today who are already wanting to lean back. While pregnancy and childbirth can be the epitome of joy, there are women among us for whom pregnancy is a metaphor for pain, loss, absence, maybe even exclusion. I pray that our Father's heart is revealed to you women, that part of his heart that holds space so well, there is room for all of us. And I pray that by my leaning into you, you would lean back in. Women, I pray that you stay in the story, the story of Advent written for you, and the part of this story that is uniquely yours and is still being written. I pray that you can connect to the strength of Mary this Advent season, because Mary stands not as a symbol for little ladies who need to accept suffering and oppression and unjust systems as obedience to the will of God. Mary stands as an empowered woman, a prophet mother, leading us directly into accepting the call to our place in God's story of redemption and renewal with all the implications of that call. That's my prayer for you. Now, guys, bless your hearts. There's a lot of feminine things going on up here. They're letting a lady preach. She's talking about pregnancy and childbirth. You're going to want to lean back as well. I invite you to stay in the story. I talked about my dirt bike. That was totally for you guys. Here's the picture again. Take it in. Stay with us. Advent is for everyone. Men, I know you have women in your lives. I know that, that you can connect with this. So stay in the story. So, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. This is a sweet moment. I can recall the baby leaping in my womb. Most pregnant women have had that experience. And as miraculous as moments like that are, it does kind of just become the new norm if you're pregnant. So it would be easy for us to just assume this is a sweet, typical moment shared between two mothers and one of the babies left at just the right time. But this is so much more than that. For one, the moment that baby John the Baptist leaps in her womb, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she begins to prophesy. And we know she's prophesying because somehow she already knows that Mary is pregnant too. And beyond that, Elizabeth already knows that Mary will bear not just a baby, but the Messiah. How does she already know this message that has only been given to Mary by an angel? This is a prophetic, Holy Spirit-filled declaration that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's coming from the mouth of the woman carrying John the Baptist in her womb, where he actually prompted her in the womb. He hasn't even filled his lungs with oxygen yet. And he's already preparing the way for the Lord. Talk about knowing your purpose. 
right? And this is where I want us to sit this morning, in this moment, this beautiful little moment, this very intimate and very feminine moment holds a lot of meaning for us. And it has something to do with joy. I think it's safe to say this is the origin of joy. And for some reason, God chose to make this moment part of his plan to save the world. And he didn't have to do it that way. The fact that he did is something we should pay attention to. So this part of the story, this moment, this is actually the moment of two covenants colliding. Crippling law meets weightless grace. This prophetic declaration that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's coming, John would be the very last prophet to speak that message. And he just met the one about whom that prophecy has been given while they were both still in their mother's wombs. This wasn't just two new mothers sharing a sweet moment and one of their babies happened to chime in at the perfect timing. This was much deeper than that. This was like what David describes in Psalms when deep calls to deep. David is lamenting. He's pouring out his heart to God. He's thirsty and he is seeking. And at the same time that he is grieving, he is remembering the hope and love and fulfillment and purpose that his God brings to his life. And again, we see this theme of holding space where pain and despair can sit with joy and hope when we dare to lean in and we stay in the story. And David articulates this soul mystery with this phrase, deep calls to deep. The deep things of God calling to the deep things of man. Deep is calling to deep when these two covenants collide with each other. Deep is calling to deep when an unnoticed and easily overlooked girl is chosen. Deep is calling to deep when God showed up as a baby born to this teenage mother in a barn. Deep is calling to deep when our hearts know they are made for joy and they long for it, even when we can't articulate that longing. The Spirit of God reaching deep into the spirit of his children. And God started this whole process in a mother's womb. Is there a deeper, more spiritual place than that place where we are stitched together by God in our mother's womb? David also poetically references this miracle in Psalm 139. God didn't have to deploy his great rescue plan through the womb of a mother. The fact that he did is something we should pay attention to. Because the womb is something we all have in common. The womb translates to everyone. This is where all of our journeys began. No matter how unnoticed, uncherished, or unappreciated we can each feel, each of our humble beginnings did not start that way. We each have a father who lovingly and purposefully knitted each of us into his bloodline, into his story. And just like John the Baptist, while still in his mother's womb, stepped into the calling and purpose of his life by announcing the arrival of the Messiah, we are called to do the same. And that call is in us from the very beginning. 
It's stitched into the very fabric of who we are by our creator. Galatians chapter 4 says, But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave but a child? And if you are a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. That inheritance, that birthright, that's in each one of us. As he was creating our inmost being, he included this origin of joy, and it's connected deeply and perfectly to this one thing that's in all of us, our purpose. We have joy because we have purpose. We have a story. And it's much bigger than each of our individual stories. We're part of this bigger story. Christmas can make joy look like a lot of other things, things that not everyone has. But we each have purpose. It's in us from the beginning, and our soul cries out for it before we can even name it as longing. God creates us in his image, and he sends his spirit into our hearts, and from our hearts, that spirit cries back out to God, Father, deep, calling to deep, the deep things of man, calling to the deep things of God, the deep things of man placed there by God, so they would call back out to him. And in that privilege of intimate conversation, true joy can be found because it's our purpose to be connected to our creator. He put that in all of us. It's like a built-in roadmap back home so that we would stay in the story. I read recently about an ancient order of Carmelite nuns where instead of the Advent themes that we use, they focus Advent on words that are slightly different. Their themes are waiting, accepting, journeying, birthing. So if the big, beautiful words of hope, peace, joy, or love don't seem to be like your words, consider these for a moment. Waiting, accepting, journeying, birthing. I believe there's room in those words for all of us. And today's theme is joy. Our joy is much more than happiness. It is found in our purpose, and it does not skip over a single one of us. Our purpose in being a child of God, our purpose in announcing his kingdom, our purpose and place in the greatest story ever told. Now, walking in this purpose... That can be quite the harrowing journey. That's why we're not meant to make that journey alone. That's why God gave us each other. That's why when God decided to save the world, he stepped into a family modeling for us our need for each other. I'm thankful I can journey alongside you all and you alongside me as we step into this purpose together as a family of faith. 
calling our purpose out in each other and cheering one another on as we see it taking flight. Picture something with me for a moment, if you will. There's a little child walking down a path beneath some trees, and all of a sudden, right in front of her, a baby bird drops out of the tree. She sees it hit the ground. She's a child. She doesn't think twice. She immediately scoops the baby bird up into her hands. It's trembling. She's worried about how broken its body is. She looks up, sees a low-hanging branch with a little nest in it. There are no other birds around, no other babies. The mama bird isn't anywhere to be seen. And filled with empathy, she thinks, well, the best chance this bird has is if I put it back in its nest. And so she raises her hands up, and just as she opens her hands to place the bird in the nest, the bird flies off, and it startles her so much she falls back on the ground, and she sees it fly past the nest, through the tree, and disappear into the sky. And she sits on the ground just totally dumbfounded at this bird's little strength suddenly. As I'm closing here, I want to invite the choir up on stage, but stay with me. Joy is a journey. It's a journey back home to who we were created to be. John the Baptist knew who he was from the very beginning because he was deeply connected to his purpose. We're not always as connected to our purpose. Sometimes we just lose sight of it. Sometimes we feel as if we've fallen out of the nest and thought that fall would leave us broken forever. God scoops us up if we let him. Crippling law, meet weightless grace. And he holds us up so that we can see that purpose and connect to that joy that it gives us and take flight. Totally surprising ourselves and just amazed at who God created us to be. Deep calling to deep. Our Father pointing us back home, back to our inheritance back to what has been ours all along. Joy, rooted in deep meaning and purpose because we are written into this story, stitched into this story by God while still in our mother's womb, knitted into his bloodline, written into his will, the greatest story ever told, the greatest story ever lived. Stay in the story this season and joy will find you.